So friends, if you would take your Bible, I invite you to turn there to the text for our time in God's Word. And we do know who holds tomorrow, right? Thank God He holds our hand. And so let's turn and let's learn to fear not tomorrow. God's already there. And if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 6, or if you'd like to use the Bible provided for you, you'll find that on page 811, 811. While you're turning there, uh, I'm going to ask our ushers if they would come in, if you have this information. Again, uh, if you're a guest, and it's a blessing to meet some folks this morning as our guests, delighted to have you with us. But if you have not been here last few weeks, please just receive one of the brochures that highlights our a campus development, a 2020 vision, uh, but also a number of you have not received this devotional that leads up to Thanksgiving, and I'm grateful for Joe Kappel, one of our pastors, who spent a lot of time putting this together, and as you approach Thanksgiving, this will help you to truly uh, celebrate Thanksgiving. You know, we're told almost that Thanksgiving is a forgotten holiday, and it seems to be, right? I, I went to the mall the other day. Uh, and that's not a praise for me, I will tell you that. I went in, I went out. You know what I think should be written over the entrance of it, every entrance to the mall. Forsake all hope, all you who enter here. That's, but I went in, I got out. I didn't see anything about Thanksgiving, Christmas everywhere already going on. But folks, let me encourage you, don't run ahead to Christmas. Advent is awesome. But let's also put the Lord in Thanksgiving, right? And so use the uh, uh, devotional here. It'll, it will be a great tool. And uh, so please take that. And then the brochure you will be receiving is if you receive mail from the church. And if you're not receiving things from the church, I encourage you just to use the guest card sometime or the information card and put it, uh, your address and information into the uh, uh, into the offering. We want to get that information to you, but you'll receive some information telling you a little bit more about the 2020 vision, which is uh, focused right now on our campus development. Uh, we are, as a church family, uh, moving forward by faith as God provides to uh, build uh, a couple of new buildings over the next few years. One is a new nursery wing, which will go on the front of our children's building and uh, make that into a family building uh, for birth up through fifth grade. All those children will be there and also some classrooms as well for parents. And so we're excited to see that happen over the next couple of years. And then uh, after that, as God provides and directs, then out in front of that and another uh, sanctuary that we would like to build so that we can gather as a church family in unity and uh, worship together, and then this space and some of the other space becomes uh, usable for discipleship uh, space, various things during the week. So it's a big vision. We call it the 2020 vision. And uh, we have committed, as many of you know, as a church family, to raise $500,000 before we begin that construction. And uh, it will begin uh, with the parking to the west of us as we take out this road and put in a new parking that will be at ground level for the new buildings. And then, Lord willing, in the spring, uh, the family building, the children's wing there will start. Uh, but again, we're committing to raising 500000 before we start. I encouraged our pastors and our deacons uh, some time ago and then again a couple weeks ago that 
uh, we would lead the way in uh, giving our commitment uh, to our Jehovah Jireh offering, which is just two weeks away, and that's what that offering will go for. Uh, and uh, I'm very grateful for them and some of our staff that uh, made that commitment anonymously, as all commitments are, but we are already at 20% of that goal already. So we're thankful for that, and I'm grateful for the testimony of the servant leaders in that way, and I hope that that will be reflective of us as a church family uh, in a couple weeks as we begin to give on that day to our our Jehovah Jireh offering, the Lord provides offering. This, week, this year's offering, which is two weeks from today, uh, and it's open for people to give throughout the remainder of the year to that, is called the All for Jesus offering. All for Jesus. And that's what we should totally be about at all times. I've also said that you could call it the 1.92% offering. <laughs> The 1.92%. What in the world is that? Well, I've shared before. Maybe you did not hear it. If you take one week's salary, one week's salary, that equals 1.92% of entire year's income. 1.92%. And I thought it challenge us as God provides for us to all set that as a goal, to be able to at least give that to the offering. Some cannot do that. There are numbers of folks in our church that are in a situation where they could not give that. And that is... Uh, totally understandable, and we're grateful for them and their uh, commitment to the ministry. Some of us have been so blessed by God. Some of us who could give many, many times more than that. And I hope that we will respond that way. Because this is an important time to see as soon as possible this new beginning uh, and providing for the church that we are and for the people that are yet to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, I love what William Carey said, the great missionary. For God's people, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Do you believe that? I truly, truly believe that. But I want you to know as you turn to Matthew 6 that stewardship, and we're talking about stewardship. Stewardship is management of the things that we do not own. We're not owners. We're managers of the things that belong to God. God says this is what he owns. He says, all the earth is mine, all it contains, and the people who walk on it. Other than that, okay, you can say you own something. But God says everything the world contains, the earth, and the people who walk on it are his. So we are, we are managers. But here's a key truth I want you to understand. Stewardship is never about the amount. Some people get really hung up about amount of giving. Stewardship is, first of all, about the attitude of giving. The attitude of giving. And that attitude should flow out of this, and that is Jesus first. Jesus first. That's what our focus is. That our use of God's resources and our sharing of God's resources all flows out of the fact that Jesus is first. Jesus is first. Now... This weekend, <clears throat> we're looking for Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And what a beautiful weekend. Isn't this a glorious weekend? What a gorgeous day the Lord's given to us. And yesterday, yesterday I was walking out enjoying the day, getting some exercise. And also, I like to prayer walk and 
meditate and pray while I walk. And I was out doing that on a trail here in West Knoxville. And finally, I had a place where I could see the mountains and the blue sky, the white puffy clouds, and just a tapestry of color. And so uh, I just sat down. That's a good thing to do when you're exercising, right? Just sit down. I sat down and I just thought I needed a little soul exercise, okay? I took it all in, sat there for a moment, some more prayer. And then you know what happened? Everything all of a sudden went blurry. Everything went blurry. You know why? I took these off. (laughs) That's the reason everything went blurry because yesterday I had these on. Now I've got these on today, but they're in here, okay? But I had these on, and while I was sitting down, I took them off, and everything went blurry because I wasn't seeing through the lens of my glasses. When I put those glasses back on again, just sharp, beautiful nature all around on display, and I could take it all in. Well, I want you to see in this passage that Paul just read for us earlier The Lord brings everything into focus. He brings into focus all of life. And it's like the the great physician. You know, Jesus is the great physician. But I want you to see here, he becomes the great optometrist. And he allows us to see life as it really is. And how does he do that? He allows us to look through his eyes. This is what happens in Matthew chapter 6, beginning back in verse 29 all the way through the end. It's like the Lord says, let me show you how I see the world. And this is how I want you as my followers to see the world. And that's what this passage is about. Jesus brings everything into focus. And friends, I want you to know, until Jesus is our focus, nothing else is ever in focus. Until we see life through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't see things as they really are. Now the Lord here is helping us to see life the way it really is and to value it correctly. And he begins by sharing here a couple of dangers. As I look at this passage, what the Lord does is says this is a dangerous way to look at life. And here's an answer on how not to look at life that way. He shows two dangers and then he gives the answer for those dangers, lest we should live our lives with a wrong focus. Now, notice the first danger he shares. And let's go back to verse 19. Paul began our reading at verse 25. But what does verse 25 begin with? What word? Therefore. And so Jesus is connecting what we've just read. Paul read for us. We read along to what Jesus has just said in verses 19 through 24. And in those verses, Jesus talks about the danger of materialistic living. That's the first danger that can put life out of focus. The danger of materialistic living. 
Jesus said materialism is a dangerous, dangerous thing. He says it's dangerous because it does these three things. Verse 19, materialism binds our hearts to the earth. Materialism binds our hearts down to the world. Verse 19, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, let's stop here for a moment. It's important to understand what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying there is anything wrong with having wealth. He's not saying there's anything wrong with having a, a, a number of possessions. As a matter of fact, as you read the Bible, some of God's choicest servants were wealthy men and women. And church history certainly tells us that some of God's most devoted followers were blessed with wealth from the Lord. But friends, we've got to put this in, in perspective. Let me tell you who you are sitting among this morning. Wealthy people. We are wealthy people. Think about it. There are six and a half pushing towards seven billion people on this planet right now. If you make minimum wage, if you make minimum wage in the United States, you are in the 85th percentile of the wealthiest people on the earth. 85% of the people on the earth earn less than minimum wage in the United States. If your household income is $50,000 a year or more, you are in the top 1% of the world in wealth. 99% of the people on this earth have a household income less than $50,000. Friends, we thank God for God blessed America, but we are blessed, right? We are blessed. We need to understand that. And so the Lord is speaking not about having wealth or experiencing having things. His emphasis is don't hoard it up on earth. Don't hoard up. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. The problem is not the money. The problem is not the money. Money is neutral. The problem is in here. The problem is in the heart. Jesus said, well, think about it. it. It just doesn't make sense to hoard up possessions on earth. He says, verse 19, moth, rust. Destroy, thieves break in and steal. Where did people put their money in Jesus' day? Where did they put their money? Well, a lot of them put their money into clothing, into garments, into fa fabric. What happens to that? <laughs> well, the moss can get to that and have a nice banquet on it. What happens to agriculture? He talks about the rust. You know what the word rust there means? It means gnawing, gnawing. You put your money into agriculture, you have barns full of grain, you can get a rusty rat that'll come in and chew it up. And he says, 
even if you tried to just store it in the most secure place, the thieves break through and steal. Think about all the pharaohs who were buried with their vast riches and what happens when almost all of their tombs are open to this very day. What did we find? They've been robbed. Robbed. There's no, nothing there. Jesus' point is this. Regardless of the effort or regardless of the means you try to take with storing up wealth here on the earth, it is doomed to failure. Because you cannot put it any place in this world that it's protected. You can't do that. He says, materialism will just bind your heart. It's like gravity. When you become a materialistic person, it's like gravity, spiritual gravity, just holds you down to the world and its value system. That's what Jesus is saying. He says materialism binds our hearts. And then look at verses 22 and 23. Materialism does something else. It blinds our vision. It blinds our vision. Jesus said the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's talking about a value system. When he talks about your eye, he's talking about your value system, not your physical eyesight, how you see things in terms of value. It's been well said about us as Americans that so many of us here in this country, we know the price of everything and the value of almost nothing. Someone else, a little tongue-in-cheek, put it this way. Here in this country, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Materialism blinds us. That's the image here. We, we can't see. It's the, if the source of light, if our, if our light, how we view things becomes darkness, how great is the darkness? See, this is a blindness that blinds us to the value of life. When we have a materialistic attitude, we're blinded to the value of life. What really has worth? We're blinded to the things that really have value. The glories of life, knowing God, the joy of Jesus, the value of friends and loved ones and the kingdom fellowship that we have. These things are disvalued and things that don't matter become highly valued. Friends, I want to ask you, when was the last time you just stopped in your tracks at the beauty of a sunset? When was the last time you ever were just overwhelmed by the glory of an autumn day? When's the last time the fragrance of a flower made you worship the Lord and you thank God? You see, our eyes can become blinded. Our heart becomes dark. We, we get so busy making a living, we forget how to live. 
God wants us to live, not just make a living, but live. Materialism blinds us. It blinds us to the value of life. And it most of all, and so tragically, blinds us to the value of others. The value of others. You see where it says good eye, verse number two, or a healthy eye and a bad eye, verse 23. Do you see that? What Jesus is talking about, a good eye in the context and in his time of life meant a generous eye. A person with a generous heart, a generous eyesight who sees needs and meets needs has that healthy eye. A person with a bad eye is a person who is greedy, sees only things for himself, wants to consume everything for himself, and doesn't see people as really the value. That person has a bad eye. It's generosity and envy is being compared here. What Jesus is saying is that materialism, listen, materialism produces spiritual cataracts. So our vision is clouded. We have a clouded vision of the value of men and women and boys and girls and the souls of human beings made in the image of God and how they are part of God's great love and eternity. These things are clouded by materialism. We don't see with a generous eye when we're materialistic and we don't see the worth of people. What happens, we can become people. We don't invest in people, we invest in things. And when you invest in things, you're investing in yourself, really. We should invest in people because I will tell you, people are eternal. Anything you invest in is staying behind, right? But every person lives forever. Let me tell you, it's a sad fact about the average American Christian. The average American Christian, this is true, the more they make, the less they give as a percentage of their income. The more they make, the less they give. The average church goer in America gives less than 2% of his or her income to the work of the Lord. The average churchgoer gives less than 2% of his or her income to the work and worship of God. And friends, imagine. Imagine to stand before God one day and 50% or more of everything that came to you went into house payments and car payments and vacation payments and all of the enjoyment of things, and yet you stand there given, having given 1% of what God gave to you or less than 2% to the kingdom? My friend, it begs the question if some people who attend church regularly really do believe there is a day of judgment coming. The Bible says on the day that you stand before the Lord, the books will be open. I've always wondered, what are those books? And then the book of life. And whoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But there's books that are open for the judgment. And I wonder if some of those books might not be our checkbooks. Because 
Those checkbooks, those registers don't lie. They tell the, tra- they tell the trail and the story of what we valued in life. Materialism binds our hearts. It blinds our vision. But the worst thing that materialism does, verse 24, it betrays our Lord. It betrays our Lord. No one can serve two masters. This is Jesus speaking. This is your Savior speaking. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Not it's difficult, but impossible. You cannot serve God and money. You can serve God and money may come to you in his will. But if your service is forced to God, as first to money, you're not serving God. Friends, there are actually so-called Christian financial advisors today that tell you that you need to just save, 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 save right off the bat so someday, somewhere, you can give, 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 give. And I want to tell you that is not out of the Bible. It's not out of the Bible. We don't know what another day will bring forth. Don't say how much money you're going to have someday. You may give an account of your life tonight. And God doesn't need our money. And God's not concerned with what you're going to do the million when you get it. He wants to know what are you doing with the hundred that you got right now. That doesn't get you on the radio or sell books. But that's the word of God. You start where you are. You start trusting God and being faithful with what you have. Not what you hope to have. Amen, Pastor Sam. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's good. I'll amen myself here a little bit. (laughs) The danger of materialistic living is our vision, our focus. But now, one last thing. Jesus says, here's the answer. Here's the answer to materialistic living. He says, the answer is in heavenly investment. You want to get your heart out of the world? How do you do that? Verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. Thieves cannot break in and steal for where your treasure is There your heart will be also. Verse 21, that's an axiom. That's a self-evident truth. That is something so clear it cannot be argued with. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. Do you want to have your heart in heaven? Then start putting some of your treasure there. Your heart will follow your treasure. That's what Jesus is saying. And if you want to make sure that you're a worldly person... You want to make sure that you're a materialistic person and that you do not know the joy of the Lord and seeing him provide and you don't want that, then just take your stuff and use it on yourself. But if you want to know the joy of heaven in your heart, then invest in it. That's what Jesus is saying. 
You can lay up riches in heaven. Hey, what is the best investment? I'll stop right here and give you the best investment. It's, I don't even charge for this. I don't even have a finance program on, on the air. But I'll tell you, I know this much. Here's the best investment. It's the investment has the least risk at the highest return for the longest period of time. Best investment, least risk, highest return for the longest period of time. Well, friends, when you invest in the kingdom of God, there's no risk. It's the highest return. And it will exist forever and ever and ever. Now that's good financial advice. And I'm not charging. I'll receive if you want to give, but I'm not charging. <laughs> Notice this second danger Jesus said that goes along with materialism. I want you just to see this danger and then how to address it. And then we're done. It's the danger of fearful living. The first danger is the danger of materialistic living, living for stuff. And it produces fearful living. That's what Jesus is talking about, verse 25 through verse 34, the passage that Paul read to us earlier. It's Jesus warning about the danger of fearful living. You see, Jesus warns us about worry. Look, look at what Jesus says. Verse 25, do not be anxious. Verse 27, don't be anxious. Verse 28, why are you anxious? Verse 31, do not be anxious. Verse 34, do not be anxious. You know what just seems to me? The Lord doesn't want us to be anxious. I just, you know. I think that's what he's saying. <laughs> He doesn't want us to worry. Why? Because worry will rob you. Worry will rob you. Matter of fact, worry is a double robber. Worry will rob you twice. Worry will rob you of your present and your future. You can't enjoy your present because you're worrying, and you can't enjoy the future because you're worried about that. So worry robs you twice. And when you worry, you're a two-time loser. You lose your peace in the present and you lose your faith in the future. When you are governed by worry, you're losing the peace of God in the present. And you're losing your faith in God in the future. Being robbed of some of the greatest treasures of the Lord. Peace and trust. Jesus knew... We would be worry warts. He knew that. You know why? Because we're sinners. And sinners worry. We worry. Jesus knows that. And so Jesus warns us not to waste our life with worry. He says, you don't have to do this. And he says, now this is how you can keep from wasting your life with worry. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you are a worrier, you're going to waste your present and you're going to waste your future. And I don't want you to waste your life. So he says, this is how you keep from wasting your life. Number one, have 
father-focused thinking. Have father-focused thinking. Jesus tells story, story, story about the father here. Do you see that? Notice he says in verse 26, your father feeds them. Notice he says, God clothes the grass. Notice he talks about the kingdom of God. And he talks about the father knowing you need these things. Verse 32, as much as he says don't worry, he doesn't tell you just to sit there and think about your worries. Because guess what? You'll worry about your worries. (laughs) It'll be worry to the second power. So what do you do with your worry? You stop thinking about what if and you start thinking about the reality of your father. It's father-focused thinking. And he says, you don't have to be a theologian to do this. You don't have to go to seminary to have father-focused thinking. You know all you have to do is just look around. Well, look at the birds, verse 26. Look at the birds. Here's Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. Hey, look. Look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus says, look at the birds. Now, notice, birds aren't lazy. You might say a lot of things about a bird, but a bird's not lazy. But let me tell you something you can say about birds. Birds aren't stressed out. Birds don't take sedatives. <laughs> birds don't go to bird therapy. You know, you don't, you see a bird put a, you know, sign out, come in. It doesn't happen. <laughs> a, a poet one time got this idea of what, from what Jesus was saying, and he started thinking how a bird would think. And, and here's what the poet wrote. Listen to this. Said the robin to the sparrow. I should really like to know why these, ancient, these anxious human beings rush about and worry so, said the sparrow to the robin. Friend, I think that it must be that they don't have a heavenly father such as cares for you and me. What's the point? We do have a heavenly father. We do have. And that's Jesus' point, verse 26. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus is arguing, teaching from the less to the greater. If God takes care of the less, the birds, won't he take care of you, human beings, and now his children? Well, of course he will. That's what he's saying He says, God loves the birds. God loves all animals. He does. He created them. But God does not love the animals like he loves his children. I'm just telling you, when it comes to worry, we need to be a bird brain. (laughs) Next time somebody calls you a bird brain, say, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I, I try to live that way. Thank you. He cares for us. 
And then he asks another question. Verse 27, Jesus just asks these questions. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? Or it could also be translated a cubit. What's a cubit? Cubit's half a step of a man. Typical man walking briskly, 36 inches or so. Half step is a cubit, about 18 inches. Jesus is saying, through your worry, can you add even a half a step to your lifespan by your worry? It can't be done. Now worry, we're told, can shorten your life. Stress is a killer. But whether worry shortens the quantity of your life, friends, I'll tell you and guarantee you, worry will do this. It will shorten the quality of your life. You won't have the kind of life the Lord wants you to have if you're filled with worry. And to express this, again, the Lord uses another illustration. He just went, he said, well, look at this, and the birds. And then looking lower, he says, well, look at this. Verse 28. Why are you anxious for clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, look, look at look the grass. Look, Solomon did not have the clothing as beautiful as this grass, which is here today and tomorrow it's going to be burned in the oven. Look at the wardrobe that the grass has. I love this quote by Martin Luther, the reformer. You know, Martin Luther was kind of an earthy guy. If he were around today, some of his books and messages, you'd have to bleep him out just a little bit, okay? He's kind of, kind of coarse at times. But listen to what he said here. It seems, and this is from one of his sermons, it seems that the flowers stand there and make us blush and they become our teachers. Thank you, flowers. You who are to be devoured by cows. God has exalted you very highly that you become our masters and teachers. <laughs> wow. Thank you, flowers. You become our teachers. You're going to be chewed up by cows. But you're teaching us right now. Jesus wraps it all up. Verses 30 to 32. He wraps all that up. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Again, less to greatest grass to God's children. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear for the Gentiles? That is people who don't know God as their heavenly father. They, they, they seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. I love this. Do you see the bookends there? Look at the bookends. Verse 30, God, the other bookend, Heavenly Father. 
And I, and I love what Jesus, it's like he's saying this, take all your worries. Take care all the worries you've got, put them on the shelf. Just put them on the shelf. Put God, heaven and earth, the God of heaven and earth, put him on one side of your worries and then the truth that he's your heavenly father on the other side. We all have struggles with worries. They all have things that bother us. What do we do with them? We take them to God. What does the Bible say? Cast your cares upon him. Because what? He cares for you. Roll your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. When you feel that worry, when it comes on and you're noticing what it's doing in your heart, what do you do with it? Take it to God. God knows. He's got this. He loves you. Take it to him. The answer to worry here is this father-focused thinking. And when you do that, then you can be involved in kingdom-focused living. And that's the other way of overcoming worry. Kingdom-focused living. When you recognize what your life is about, then you get after it. You start living what your life is really about. What is it? Verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Don't seek first success. Don't seek first promotion. Don't seek first profit. Don't seek first these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Be focused on the fact that you are a citizen of the kingdom. And that you live for God and God is in you. And you're living out his righteousness. God has given you salvation in Christ. Now you seek to live that out in love to God and your fellow man. Be concerned about the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Be focused on that and all these things will be added to you. Stop right here, church. Verse 23. What are the these things? What are the these things? What you will eat. What you will wear. Your shelter. The necessities of life. The things that you require in order to live and to serve God. All of those things will be provided as you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You seek the rule of God, the rule of the king. Make your life about the king and the kingdom. You're one of the king's kids. You're a prince or a princess. Make your life about the king and his kingdom, your heavenly father, advancing that, making that known. We're not going to sing. <laughs> I already told Doug. It's okay. I chose a song last night. It was an old one. Nobody remembers it anyway. It's over, it's praise chorus. Everybody would have gone saying, whoa, Sam, what kind of 70s on us there? Okay, so 
So I want to tell you this. Now, before you leave, don't wrap up because some of you, you're not going to remember anything else much that I said today. But you will, if you take this with you, I assure you, it'll help you. Years ago, there was an incredible Bible teacher. His name was H.A. Ironside, Henry Ironside. He's been gone now, died in 1948. He's on a mission trip in New Zealand. He's buried in New Zealand. But he was a renowned Bible teacher. His books are still available. Wonderful. But in the 30s, and he was president of Moody College in Chicago. And the depression shed had just so devastated the economy that the college was just week to week to week getting by. And one week, there wasn't enough to make the payroll on Friday. And Dr. Ironside, he started fretting about it, thinking about it. He said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I've got to call a meeting to the board. I've got to get the board together. I'm going to call the board together. So he got all the board members to come in to Chicago and meet in the boardroom of the Moody College and they, he said, men, this is difficult, hard. i got to tell you, we don't know how we're going to make payroll on Friday. We don't have enough month, money to do it. We're going to pray, I know, but I just want you to know this is hard. I, I'm, I'm really concerned about this. And finally, a farmer who was on the board, one of those Midwestern farmers, you know, dirt under his fingernails, but he could buy you or sell you ten times over, okay? He's a board member, and he said, as only a Midwest farmer could, well, Harry, when do we have to have the money? He's, you know, kind of a Jimmy Stewart way. You can hear that. Yeah. Henry, when do we have to have this money? <laughs> yeah. Friday, Friday, we've got to have a Friday. Henry, it's not Friday yet. <laughs> Boom. It's not Friday, Henry. And that great Bible teacher said that was like a bolt out of the blue to his heart. Humbled him. Rebuked him. He said, you're right. They prayed and asked God to provide. And don't you know, when Friday came, they had money and more to make the payroll another week. Folks. When worry comes upon you, what if? How are we going? To, how can it happen? Where, where, how's this going to be provided? Just remember, it's not Friday yet. Got it? You just take that with you. That's good right there. It's <laughs> not Friday yet. Put your name in front of it. Sam, it's not Friday yet. Sufficient for today are the struggles. Friday will take care of itself. It's not Friday yet. But guess who's already in Friday? The God of eternity is already there. Fear not tomorrow. What was the song? God is already there.